Well, if you're a newcomer here, we've been in a 10-week series, I think this is week five, on the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, the first week was kind of an overview of what to expect in this series as we seek to take on the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday lives, and we've been looking at these beautiful fruit that come as we depend on the Holy Spirit, as we lean into Him daily as we take responsibility for our role to grow spiritually, and then He grows in us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God's goodness can come through ordinary folks like us. You believe that? God's goodness can come through ordinary men and women like you and me. He's 65 years old, and he must be one of the sweetest, most perseverant, God-worshipping, God-loving men that I've ever met. I've gotten to know him over this past year or so, and... It took a little while to realize that he was struggling physically because he would never speak about it. This is a man who's dealt with near-chronic migraine-level pain for some 35 years. He has an autoimmune disorder, which very few people know about. He's struggled with chronic migraines, and on top of that, for the past couple years, he's been dealing with colon cancer. But again, you wouldn't know unless someone told you. Someone happened to tell me, and so I learned a little bit more about it from him. Over the past couple years, he's been going through chemotherapy and radiation treatments at the Scottsbluff Treatment Center to deal with this colon cancer that has got into his body. And as he's gone through these chemotherapy and radiation treatments, off again, on again, he's gotten to know the patients right next to him in the treatment center. And not just them, he's also gotten to know the nurses and the doctors, and he's taken a personal interest in them. He's been impressed with the ways they have served him and other patients medically, and so he took the initiative to serve them emotionally and spiritually, to consistently go out of his way to say, how are you doing? How's your family doing? How can I pray for you? What's going on right now? This relationship developed between this man and some of these medical care providers over these past couple years, and uh, recently the doctors asked this man if he would provide the messages at their annual Camp Hope through the treatment center in Scott's Bluff. And he said, I'd be happy to do that as long as I can bring my full self to the table. I can be the Christian that I am, and I can give spiritual messages to other cancer patients because that's what helped get me through. And so now he is coming alongside other cancer patients, caring for them as he gives messages from the book of Job, praying for them and praying for their care providers. Again, you would never know any of that unless perhaps his son, Matt Demeret, were to tell you. Up on the screen, you see a picture of Steve Demeret. 
And if you've gotten to know Steve at all, he's here sometimes, usually in Scott's Bluff, but he's here. Grand, grandkids come calling. So he's here sometimes, and if you've gotten to know Steve at all, you know that everything I just said about him is, is true. How does someone become a person of goodness like that? How does someone do good deeds like that, that they are going through cancer treatment that they are riddled with pain, and yet they say, I want to reach out to others that are dealing with cancer at the same time. How does someone do the kind of deeds that they say, I want to reach out to the doctors and the nurses that are caring for me, even as I am sick? Far more than doing those kinds of deeds, how does someone become that kind of a person? Deep down at heart level, how do you become that? Because the simple fact is, all of us struggle with the same condition, don't we? It's called me, myself, and itis. Like we all do. We all were born with what's called an inward curvature of the soul. The direction of our soul is towards self. We're all naturally selfish. That's the way we were born. Then on top of that, there are many leaders in our culture today who tell us that greed is good. And the bottom line really is money. It's not people, it's really money. And so materialism gets into us without us even knowing about it. On top of that, there are other people that have been convinced by culture that happiness is the bottom line. Whatever happiness is, usually it's a collective sum of pleasurable experiences. And that becomes the bottom line for people. But I think we know, as followers of Christ, that in itself is not the abundant life, is it? Abundant life is, is goodness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want to regularly come back to this question in my own life. How do I become that kind of person that I can be going through illness and yet bless people and do good to people at the same time? Is anyone with me this morning? I mean, isn't that what you want? This is kind of part two of a two-part message. Last week was on kindness. And kindness is the sincere desire for the flourishing of another person. Very simple. It's arising out of a compassionate heart. I want the best for you. Whoever you are, whatever you might bring into this place today, I want the best for you. Underneath God, our sovereign lover and provider, I want the best for you. It's a sincere desire for the flourishing of another person. Now, goodness is a step further. Goodness is the outer expression of inner kindness. Inner kindness is a compassion that leads to good deeds, but goodness is beyond that. It's expression of who you are because your life has been transformed by Jesus Christ such that you don't just do good deeds, you are good. It, it, this is the simple fact. Those of us who are in Christ, we have a new heart. God's given us a new heart and he's given us a new spirit that if we lean into Christ on a daily basis, he changes us from the inside out that we look less and less like sinners and more and more like saints. Increasingly, day by day, that's possible. We've got to claim that victory for us as we lean into Christ. I love the way Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 5. He says, simply, you are the salt of the earth. It's you. It's not that you do salty things. That's nice from time to time. It's not that you have a preservative from time to time. You are the preservative. 
You are the flavoring. This is an indicative statement, not a directive statement. It's what you are. As followers of Christ, this is what we are becoming to be people of goodness, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. We are the light of the world that push against the darkness in Christ. As we lean into Christ, we actually can become the light of the world. I love how Jesus goes on to say this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You know, when Jesus said this, he wasn't talking about a city becoming the light. He wasn't talking about a nation becoming the light. He wasn't even talking about a church becoming light. He was talking about you becoming the light. Talking about us, that we are salt and light, such that the result is, let your light so shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and say, wow, uh, how do they do that? How are they those kinds of people? Not just good deeds, but who they are and the essence of themselves. They're different. They're different. You are the light. You are the salt. Shine. Be the preservative. Make the world better. Now, getting there starts with a vision. And the vision is, I am yours, God. What we just sang about in the goodness of God. All my life, it's yours. I surrender to you. I am yours. Surrender to him every day. I keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. I do not have what it takes on my own to become a person of goodness or any of the other fruit of the Spirit. I lean into you each and every day. And my vision, in the words of Jesus, is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness... Synonym for goodness. Seek first God's goodness and seek first God's will to be done, not my will to be done. Enough of my selfishness, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, his goodness, and all the rest will be taken care of. Wow. All the rest will be taken care of. Like whether you're poor or rich, whether you're healthy or ill, whether today is going well or it's not, the rest will be taken care of as we seek first. This is the vision, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, to look at that fruit of the Spirit and say, that's what I want, and I'm going to shoot at that every day. And you know people like Steve Demeret, and he still has that same sin nature that we all do. He still has that same selfish nature, but it's smaller. It gets smaller as the good nature of Christ changes us over time. You know people that have been walking with Christ for decades and they've taken the arrow of their life out and pointed the bow and arrow on a daily basis toward the target of the fruit of the Spirit, of doing the will of God, of the goodness of God, and they've shot at that and the result is they've been changed. It starts with a vision of I'm going to go after God's kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to go after the fruit of the Spirit each and every day. And then God turns us into the kinds of people that can say, God is so good, even in a cancer treatment room. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, as you open up your Bible, is in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you got Acts and Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. About three-quarters of the way through your Bible, maybe even a little bit more, you come to Galatians. We're going to look at a couple different passages from Galatians 6 and then Ephesians chapter 2 here this morning as it speaks about the power of uh, good works and what God does in us, how he blesses us even through them. 
Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. Follow along with me, be it in your Bible or on the screen. The Apostle Paul says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Don't, don't become weary. Don't quit. A harvest is coming to you. Goodness boomerangs is going to come back to you. Goodness, goodness comes back to you. As we bless people, we'll be blessed as well. We'll reap a harvest at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, let's leave this verse up on the screen for just a moment, and let's take a, another quick poll. Um, we already did one survey. Now, let's take another. Uh, participate with me, and let's be honest, because we're in church together, right? Thanks for the giggles. Okay. Um, raise your hand if you look at this passage and say, man, I, I really like that passage. That's a beautiful one. Raise your hand. Okay. See a number of you? Great. Okay. Be honest. Your church. Raise your hand if you don't really like that passage. <laughs> you look at that passage and you say, wow, that's a bit much. I'm not sure about all that. I see a few hands. There was a recent survey of American Christians that was done that, that said, um, when looking at this passage, 75% uh, of American Christians said they really like that passage, and 25% of American Christians said they don't really like that passage. It also found that 75% of American Christians were lying. That wasn't very nice of me to you. Uh, I know you're not lying. You, you probably do love that passage because you're much better people than I am. Well, I tell you, when I read this passage for the first several times after I became a Christian at age 19, I really didn't care for it much. I know you're not really supposed to say that as a pastor, but that's true for me. I, I didn't care for that passage much. Do you have any verses in your Bible that you, you read them and you've, you've read through them enough times and each time you come to them, you kind of skip over them? Okay, this was one of those for me. And I've kind of looked back at that and wondered why that was for the first several years while when I was reading through the Bible and looking at the book of Galatians. Why was it that I was averse to this passage? I think there's a couple different reasons. Number one, it says, let us do good to all, especially the family of believers. And that, that wasn't my people growing up. And so it kind of felt like, all right, is the Bible showing favoritism here? Because I know the Bible says other places that God shows no favoritism. And I hold on to that with strength, that God shows no favoritism. So what's up with this? Do good to all, especially to the family of believers. Is the Bible saying here, don't do good to my people, the people that I love, my own family? And then second... I think I struggle with this passage because the simple truth is I get weary sometimes in doing good. Is there anyone else in this room? You just start to feel overwhelmed by the number of needs in the world and you look at the possibilities that says here of doing good to all people and don't grow weary in doing it and sometimes, truth be told, I get weary in doing good. And so I'm like, where do I even start with this? Well, I want to start here as we look at this passage by asking you to look at your outline. You'll see a few different concentric hearts. If you're following along in your journal, you might write down a few different concentric hearts. Draw this little picture that you see up on the screen. These three concentric hearts. And this is what this passage is saying. It says, first, goodness begins with receiving the goodness of God. 
That's where it begins. Okay, you don't see it explicitly in this passage, but you do see it ten verses before. At the end of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit. So the fruit of the goodness comes from the Spirit of God. It's about dwelling in the goodness of God. Then it goes on to say, keep in step with the Spirit of God. The only way we become good people is by yielding our lives day in and day out, growing in the goodness of God for us, that He fills us with His goodness. He fills us with His love, and then we're able to extend it out to others. The next heart goes like this. My family, my spiritual and my nuclear family, the people around me here at church, that's my spiritual family, and my nuclear family, the people that God has given that are closest to me, my parents, my kids, whoever they might be, those are the people that I begin to love as I reflect the love that God has given me, and extends from there to goodness to anyone that you might meet, anyone that God brings before your path. And I want to tell you that it's possible to do all of that without growing weary. It is. God doesn't give us things that are impossible for us to do. He gives us things that are impossible to do on our own. And then he would have us rely on him daily. And as we rely on him daily, then we're able to be what he calls us to be. We're able to do what he calls us to do, not on our own, but through his power. So we put in the time to dwell in the presence of God daily, and He is goodness. God is pure goodness to us all the time. We take responsibility to be with God, to dwell with Him, and then we naturally begin to reflect His character. Who knows that we are who we, who we spend time with? Who knows that? That, that? that we actually reflect the people that we spend time with. And so the question is, do you spend time with God? Because if you want to be like God, you have to spend time with him. We will reflect whoever we spend time with. And so as we spend time with God, we begin to dwell with him. The Holy Spirit takes responsibility in us to change us from the inside out and give us that abundant fruit that we all long for, but we cannot get to by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And what changes is we become people of peace. Like on the inside. We become people who are at ease within ourselves and peacemakers with others. We become people of joy, that at your right hand is fullness of joy, and your pleasure is joy forevermore, the Bible says. We become people of self-control, that yeah, we still have the same temptations that anyone else has. We still have certain inclinations that we're really tempted to sin in these areas, but we have the self-control in us, sometimes even to go hand over fist and to say no to temptations because Christ actually dwells within us through His Holy Spirit. That this is the abundant life that can be ours. And this is what the Bible is referring to here when it says you will reap a harvest in due time. You will get the harvest of a beautiful life as you dwell with Christ, as you consistently do the goodness of God. Then it comes back to you and you reap this beautiful harvest that's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's possible for us and it's so Profound to say, I'm going to live with you and I'm not going to grow weary in doing good. It will be worth it. I will reap a harvest even of patience, of kindness, of self-control. I can be changed. You can be changed as we dwell with God. Now, Christians sometimes uh, in Bible teaching churches like ours can kind of poo-poo the importance of good works. We are right to uh, 
acknowledge, and more than acknowledge, we're like to proclaim that salvation is purely a gift of God due to nothing that we bring to the table. God in his generosity gives it to us. We receive it. But sometimes as we talk about that in Bible teaching churches, we fail to talk about the importance of becoming people of goodness and then giving good works to other people. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and we'll see a a beautiful portrait of the progression that God wants for us. Just turn two pages over to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You see up on the screen, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's read this out loud together. Would you join me? It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So I don't know if you're brand new here today. It may be that God brought you to church for this very reason, to hear the basic gospel message that God came down from heaven to earth to purchase new life for you on the cross. That's it. And you receive it. You say thank you. You receive it. You don't try to earn it. You don't try to climb up the ladder to God anymore. You don't uh, tell God about all the good things that you do or the great heritage you have. You simply receive the goodness of God for you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it begins there. And we're wise to teach our kids to memorize a verse like that, but it's so interesting to me, as I've been in Christian circles now for 20-some years, I've noticed that many parents ask their kids to memorize those verses, or they memorize those verses themselves, but they don't ask their kid to memorize the next verse. Verse 10, which goes on like this. It says, let's read it out loud together. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Interesting. Interesting. You were saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Let's say it again. You're saved by grace, through faith, For good works. God created you and He saved you, this verse is saying, that you would do good. That you would be a representative of Christ, that you would make a difference for Christ wherever you would go. And He did such a beautiful job creating you. Verse 10 there says that you are God's workmanship, you are God's masterpiece. The Greek there for that word is poema, from which we get poem. You are God's poem. You're God's Sistine Chapel. You are. You're his workmanship. You're his special creation. And he created you in the most glorious, beautiful way so that you would bring good wherever you would go in the course of daily living. The idea there at the end of uh, verse 10 is that we would just be sprinkling in good deeds and we would be people of goodness wherever we go in the course of daily living. It's not about being a hero. It's not about changing the world even. It's about being people of goodness wherever we go in the course of daily living. Now, many of us don't know where to start, but because we say, I'm not a hero, I don't have that much to offer, all you need to do is say to God, I give you myself, I offer myself to my family and to my spiritual family and to others you would bring before me today. It seems that there's a certain romanticism and allure today to certain kinds of service in our culture. Like if you're serving the urban poor, you're really doing good works, right? Or if you're going on an overseas mission trip, then you're really doing good works. Then you're like high-class Christian. The Bible doesn't see it that way at all. What this is talking about is doing good works in the course of daily living in the little postage stamp of creation that God has given to you and me. It's the average dailies. You see, to God, going on an overseas mission trip is no better than faithfully changing your kids' diapers. 
Like seriously, you can change your kids' diapers as unto the Lord. You, you give your 45 hours of hard work to God, not for men, but to God each week so you could pay the mortgage and provide for your family. That's a great work. That's doing it. It's taking your wife on a date. It's thinking the best of your husband. It's visiting a shut-in in the neighborhood who you know is lonely, and you choose to visit that person on a regular basis. And then God begins to change us over time, and we begin to have a greater influence on our little area of creation that he's entrusted to us. I love the way Mother Teresa put it. She never started, uh, she never set out to, to be a hero. She never set out to change the world. She did change the world, but she didn't set out to do that. She said this, I don't do great things. I do small things with great love. And this is what we do every day. What you do matters so much to God. You do small things with great love. You ask the question, where does this start? And it's just common sense that if God gives you a kid, it starts with your kids, right? It was like this really impoverished view of, of uh, Scripture when I was reading this and passing over it and saying, well, why this special emphasis on one's spiritual family? Well, you just start with your family. And the Bible says that we are family. And so we start right here, and we start with our nuclear family, and we care for them as we all know that we should. It's interesting, in the early church, though, there was this expectation that uh, the church would always care for one's spiritual family. And you go to a place like Acts chapter 6, and you see that uh, the family of God was not being cared for. And so the church at a very early stage, a very early juncture, they had to get more organized to care for those who had need within the church family. In this case, there were some Jewish widows who were being cared for with the daily distribution of bread. They were poor. But then there were these Gentile widows, that is, they were from Rome or from Greece or from North Africa, and they were being passed over in the daily distribution of bread. In spite of all that Jesus said about caring for widows and orphans and the poor and immigrants, they were being passed over in the daily distribution of bread. And so what the apostles did in that moment was, they said, this can't continue, we have to get organized. And so they developed a new ministry called deacons and deaconesses. And for the very first time in Acts chapter 6, deacons and deaconesses go into practice, and what are they doing? They're caring for widows and the fatherless and those in need. Providing bread for them. Because we're family. Because we're family. We do this through our quarterly grace offering. We care for those who are in need in our church. Whatever need they might have. Certainly widows and the fatherless and others. Single moms, single dads, all of that. Um, but also for, for our community as well. But we, we start right here. In our own spiritual family. And we do this on a monthly basis through a ministry that we call Men in Action, in which we have about 100 men, teams of three to four guys, who go to a single widow's house, 25 teams, to 25 widows and single parents, and every single month, that same group of three to four guys go to the same house each and every month, and they care for her physical needs, care for her relationally, let her know that she is a part of this church family and she is to be loved. That's the church. That's the church. 
This is the church. This is what we do. We're a family. We care for each other. We bless each other. We go out of our way to bring goodness to one another. Whatever difficult situation that we might be in, we are the church. The church isn't a motivational speaker. Like if you come to church on Sunday morning and you're looking for a pick-me-up from a motivational speaker, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. If you come to church and you think of the band as a rock band, man, they're going to jam today. You're going to be sorry. Like we have some great vocalists and some great musicians, but they're not a rock band. And I am not a motivational speaker. We are here to move people closer to the goodness of God. We are here to pray with people, to carry each other's burdens, to help people learn and grow in the scriptures, to enter into community together, to care for one another in time of need, to be a spiritual community on mission for God. We're the church. Is anyone with me today? We are the church, man. Oh. We're not a performance. If you expect Tony Robbins, sorry. Okay, we, we start with family. We start with family, and we're family. But we don't stop there, do we? Somebody say, start with family, but don't stop there. Come on. Start with family, but don't stop there. We as a church, we start with family, but we're never an inward organism, never an inward organization. We're always looking out. We start with family, but we don't stop there. And so who's the one that you have been praying for? Who's the one that God is calling you to do good for, even right now, where you're sitting today? We've been praying through these little prayer cards. You can get them through this exit door if you don't yet have one. But 750, 800 of us have been praying over these for, for the past month. God, would you please make me more aware of, of what's going on around me? Who's my neighborhood? Who's my workplace who needs to know about your love? And God, would you give me compassion? Would you soften my heart to that person, whoever you're making me more aware of? And God, would you give me boldness to reach out to that person with the words of the love of God and with the deeds of the love of God? Would you use even me? Who's the one that God has on your mind right now? Now, if you don't know who that is, again, begin by praying about it, taking it seriously. Say, I'm, I'm gonna pray, God, is there one that you would have me bless? But it's very possible you know who the one is, and I'm guessing as you're praying, you're learning that God would have you shine the brightest out of the very place where you've experienced greatest darkness. Anyone else know that to be true? Out of the very place where you've experienced darkness, God frequently uses us to shine the brightest right there. Isn't that Steve Demrett's story? He's going through the pain of cancer, and God used him to bless other people with cancer. You think of someone who's gone through the pain of divorce or someone who's been abandoned. Don't be at all surprised if God uses you to help someone else who's going through the pain of divorce. Maybe you're in a spot that you've had a prodigal child. Don't be at all surprised if God used you to help someone else who's going through the painful situation of a prodigal child. Maybe you've gone through some illness. Don't be at all surprised if God used you to bless someone else who's going through a similar illness. We don't have time for it, though, this morning, but I can tell you so many of the places that have been hardest for me, some of the darkest places, those are the places specifically that God has chosen to use me the most to bring his light to other people. It's part of his specialty. 
He takes the lemons and he turns them into lemonade. You know, whatever cliche you want to use, he shines through ordinary people like us out of the dark places that we experience. Let me wrap up with this, and with this I'll ask the worship band to come up on stage. Just a warning. This passage is overwhelming if we do it on our own strength. The simple truth is, good works drain our power when we do them by our own strength, but they actually fill us when we do good works by God's strength. And so the question is, what are you doing in your daily and weekly rhythm to draw near to God? Because unless we're getting the goodness of God in us on a consistent basis, a consistent rhythm of life, all the good deeds that we want to do to love the one that's in our mind will fry us. As a pastor, there have been many times that I've been really close to burnout. And the difference, I am convinced, is a daily habit of being with God combined with a weekly habit of taking a Sabbath. I love work. I can love work too much. And so I have to turn it off. And that's part of the goodness of God to give us the gift of Sabbath. That we would rest for a day a week to enjoy the presence of God a little bit more. To enjoy our families. To do things that we like. To read a little bit more of the scriptures. To worship a little bit more. To linger on a walk with God. And to experience his kindness even to us. And if I'm not maintaining the discipline of being in the goodness of God on Saturday for me, I don't have anything good for you on Sunday. Because it's out of the overflow of dwelling in the presence of God that you have goodness for your family, for your church, for your community. And then you let your light shine. And then you're the salt of the earth. You push back the darkness. Let your light so shine before men and women this week that they may see your good deeds, they may see your goodness and glorify your Father who is in heaven.